0: The following message was recorded by David Cloud as part of a series of messages on church history. This and other materials are available on the web at wayoflife.org. I want you to turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We're going to deal tonight with the subject of the Waldenses. The Waldenses. A very fascinating study, because the Waldenses were... Bible-believing Christians who lived centuries ago. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, that he, the church that He established, we saw last night that He established one kind of church. And here He promises that He will be with that church down through the centuries all the way to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, that's what Jesus promised. He gave the command that the churches were to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and He promised that He would be with them unto the very end. Now, this is not a passage that is often used uh, uh, for the preservation of the Scripture, but I believe that this applies to not only the preservation of the true churches through the centuries, but also the preservation of the Scriptures, and this tells us how the Scriptures would be preserved. That's not our subject tonight. But any time that you find true believers, you're going to find a Bible. Because that's what produces true believers. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And this is the book that has the power to produce faith in the lives of people. And that's what it's done down through the centuries. And where has the Bible been preserved? Among God's people. The Bible has not been preserved hidden away somewhere in some weird monastery or in the Pope's library in the very heart of apostasy. No, the Bible has been preserved in the hands of Bible-believing people down through the centuries. That's what we see here. Jesus said, teach them all things, whoever I've taught you, and then they teach the next generation, and they teach the next generation, and I'm going to be with you as that's going on right down to the end of the age. And that's how the Scriptures have been preserved. That's also how the churches have been preserved. And we know that no matter how dark the times have gotten throughout church history, and the times have gotten very dark, much darker than they are today, that God had His people there. And one of those people, groups of people, were called the Waldenses. The word Waldensy in English is uh, from uh, French, the Vadoe. And it means men of the valleys. Men of the valleys. And that's because of where these people lived. Now, here's a map of part of Europe. And here's the country of Italy with the boot uh, sticking down into the Mediterranean Sea. And the home of the Waldensies, although they spread all throughout Europe and even to England, the home of the Waldensies was here in the mountains in the Alps. And that's where they got their names, the men of the valleys. And also over in France, on that side of the Alps. And that was the homeland of the Waldensies. A couple years ago, maybe three years ago now, down in North Carolina, there is a model village of the old Waldensies. It's a very interesting place to visit. And they have a model. It's a a life-size model of one of their old churches in the mountains of Italy. This is what it looked like. And they also had a model, which I found very interesting, of one of their Bible schools. Because they were very big on teaching the Bible and training missionaries. And uh, in these Bible schools that were up in those mountains, they would also copy the Scriptures and send the Scriptures out across Europe in those dark ages, ages, the Waldenses. And so their name means Men of the Valleys. And... The modern Waldenses are modernistic and ecumenical. They still exist. But they have left the faith of their fathers. And today, the modern uh, Waldenses, if you ask them about their history, they will say, well, we came from a man named Peter Waldo who lived in the 12th century. Peter Waldo. But if you were to ask, the Waldensies of old, the Waldensies of the 1300s, 1400s, they would say, no, we, uh, our forefathers, went back to the days of the apostles. That's what they believed. That they had a heritage in the northern part of Italy, in those mountains, that went back all the way to the days of the apostles. That's what they believed. We could give many quotes for that. The, uh, one of the Waldensian leaders during the Reformation era in the 1500s, was Robert Olivetan. And he was a translator of a Bible in Italian. And in the introduction, the preface, I'm sorry, in French, the French language, and in the preface of that old French Bible, this is what he said. And he was a Waldensian. Since the time of the apostles, or their immediate successors, the torch of the gospel has been lit among the vaudeau, and has never been extinguished. Now, that's what the Waldensies used to believe before they were apostate. So, tonight, we're going to consider basically three things. The doctrine of the Waldensies. What did they believe? The missionary enterprise of the Waldensies. They were great missionaries. And the persecution of the Waldensies. What did the Waldensians believe? What was their doctrine? Now, there's some things I want to say before we look at one of their doctrinal statements. And that is, first of all, that the term Waldenses describes many different groups that were uh, uh, existed in the old times in Europe. It referred to many different groups. What does the word Baptist mean? It can mean almost anything. And that's true of almost any name given to Christians in the various periods of history. It doesn't mean that they all believe the same thing, they all practice the same thing. It was sort of a generic term, many times a term given by their enemies. Like fundamental Baptists today or evangelical today. It's almost a meaningless term. Also, there were some common traits among Waldensians. They all rejected Rome. But there were wide varieties in doctrines and practice, from, and especially from century to century. Some were Baptists. means they believed in uh, uh, baptism by immersion for believers only. Some were pato Some formed ecclesiastical unions of various uh, sorts. Some were independent. Some rejected all of Rome's dogmas. Some held to some of the dogmas. So there was a wide variety of doctrine among Waldensies, or those called Waldensies. And it's also important to understand, when you're thinking about the Waldensies, that the spiritual zeal of, the, of various groups of Waldensies ebbed and flowed. Is that not always the case? Even in one generation, uh, the apostles started churches, but before the apostles died, Some of those churches were already apostate, started by the hands of the apostles, like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And the spiritual life of an individual believer, and certainly of a church, and certainly of a group of Christians uh, going across centuries, ebbs and flows. We have to understand that to understand the history of the Waldensies. What did the Waldensians believe in general, though? We have some of their confessions of faith that still exist. One of their old doctrinal statements, that goes back to 1120 A.D. Now, that's an old doctrinal statement. What did they believe in 1120 A.D.? Now, here's point number seven of their statement of faith. We believe that Christ is our life and truth and peace and righteousness, our shepherd and advocate, our sacrifice and priest, who died for the salvation of all who should believe, and rose again for their justification. Now, I like that. I can subscribe to every word in that. Point number eight. And we also firmly believe that there is no other mediator or advocate with God the Father but Jesus Christ. Point number nine. This is directly from an old Waldensian statement of faith in 1120 A.D. We also believe that after this life, there are but two places, one for those that are saved, the other for the damned, who we, who, which, too, we call paradise and hell, wholly denying purgatory of Antichrist, invented in opposition to the truth. They were very bold. They were very plain in their statements of what they believed and what they did not believe. That's what got them in trouble. Number ten, moreover, we have ever regarded All the inventions of men in the affairs of religion as an unspeakable abomination before God, such as the festival days and vigils of saints and what is called holy water, the abstaining from flesh on certain days and such like thing, but above all, the masses. They said they're inventions of men. They're an abomination before God. Number twelve, we consider the sacraments as signs of holy things. Signs of holy things are as visible emblems of invisible blessings. We regard it as proper and even necessary that believers use these symbols or visible forms, such as baptism, when it can be done, notwithstanding which we maintain that believers may be saved without these signs. They did not believe that baptism saved you. They believed that baptism was important. That baptism was a sign, but they did not believe that baptism was a part of salvation. Number thirteen, they said, We acknowledge no sacraments as of divine appointment, but baptism and the Lord's Supper. They were not Protestants. They were not Roman Catholics. Number number fourteen, in 1120 A.D., these old Waldensis said, We honor the secular powers with subjection. Obedience, promptitude, and payment. They were not rebels. They were not rebels. They were not rebels against... And in those days, the government was much more wicked than it is in America. They could not have conceived of living in the liberty that we live in in America. And yet, they gave that government of that day, civil government, they gave it respect and they gave it honor as God had commanded them in Romans chapter 13. They were not rebels. But when the government refused to allow them to obey the Bible, then they disobeyed the government. There was another Old Waldensian Confession of Faith that was written about 1150 A.D. And uh, in that, they said, uh, first of all, that the articles in Articles of Faith, the authority of the Holy Scriptures is the highest. That the Bible is the authority. And for that reason, it is the standard of judging. The Bible is the authority for everything. And uh, it is very important to understand that these Waldenses of old, back in 1100, 1200, 1300 AD, were that they rejected infant baptism. That's important to understand, first of all, because modern histories of the Waldenses, written by Protestants, claim that the Waldenses were baby baptizers, baptizers, and that is not true. That is not true by the testimony of their own confessions. We've already given one of, uh, of the testimonies on baptism from their own confession. Here's another one. Now, this one was written in 1544 for the king of France. And they were trying to show the king of France what they believed. And they said, We believe that in the ordinance of baptism, the water is the visible and external sign which represents to us that which, by the virtue of God's invisible operation, is within us. Namely, the renovation of our minds, that's born again, the mortification of our members through the faith of Jesus Christ. And by this ordinance, we are received into the holy congregation of God's people previously professing and declaring our faith and change of life. Can a baby do that? Of course not. They did not believe in infant baptism. There's a testimony also of a commission in the country of the Netherlands, that back in the 1800s, a very interesting uh, series of research was done in those days. And it was appointed by the king of the Netherlands. And he appointed two very prominent historians in that country to examine the history of the Anabaptists of that part of the world. Now, these historians themselves were Protestants. They were baby baptizers. They were not Baptists. They were not sympathetic to Baptists. And yet they examined very diligently the history of the Waldensies and they concluded that the Waldensies rejected infant baptism and used only adult baptism. That was a very diligent series of research that was done in the Netherlands. We also have the testimony of their enemies that the Waldensies rejected infant baptism. The Roman Catholics wrote about the Waldenses a lot and they condemned them and they railed against them and they were mentioned by the popes in the popes' writings and the, 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 the Catholics constantly said, those Waldenses, they reject our baptism. You have many other testimonies that could be given. One very excellent history of the Waldenses was written by a Baptist named William Jones back in the latter part of the 1700s. It's a very interesting Baptist history. It's one of the best, I think. And uh, the second volume of his history is completely about the Waldenses, and he gives a lot of evidence proving that they rejected infant baptism, that they were Baptist in practice. Where did the... Beliefs of the Waldensies come from? They came from the Scriptures. And their enemies and also their friends who have written about the Waldensies have testified that the Waldensies had a great love for the Scriptures, for the Word of God. In the mid-13th century, in the 1200s, a Roman Catholic inquisitor gave this testimony about the Waldensies. They can repeat by heart in the vulgar tongue the whole text of the New Testament and a great part of the Old. What a testimony that these Waldensies spent their times memorizing the Scripture so that they could repeat by heart the whole New Testament. Another Catholic persecutor later said that he had seen several Waldensian farmers, peasants he called them, who could perfectly repeat the whole New Testament. Of course, it was also true in those days that they were always in danger of losing the Scriptures. And they also did not have printing presses. And the Scriptures were very, very precious. And so, the doctrine of the Waldenses. They were strong, Bible-believing people that lived during the darkest times of church history. What about the missionary efforts of the Waldenses? And if we study their history... One thing that uh, that we're impressed with is that they were great missionaries. There was no kingdom, it was written, of southern and central Europe to which these missionaries did not find their way. Now here is here is Europe. There's Italy. And southern Europe is here. It's Germany and France. And there was no Part of southern and central Europe that they did not send missionaries, the Waldenses. One of the old Catholic persecutors that hated them told how they would evangelize as they traveled. One thing that they did was that they sold things as they traveled, and their missionaries would travel with things to sell, and that's one way that they uh, made their money so that they could travel. And as they sold things to people, they would also give them the Scriptures. And this is how this man actually became a pope later. But at first he was a part of the Inquisition. And this is what he said about them. He said they would carry merchandise for sale. And they would introduce themselves to people that they met, saying, Sir, will you please to buy any rings or seals or trinkets? Madam... Will you look at any handkerchiefs or pieces of needlework for veils? I can afford them cheap. Means they don't cost much. After the business transaction was conducted, the person would ask, Have you anything more? And the Waldensian would reply, Yes, great rarities. I have one precious stone through which you can see God, and another that kindles love in Him in the heart. What is that? That's the Old and New Testament. The stone. And with that, the missionary would bring out a portion of Scripture and say, "...the inestimable jewel of, I, I spoke of is the Word of God, by which He communicates His mind to men, and which inflames their hearts with love to Him." And then he quotes the Scriptures, and he offers to give them the Scriptures, and he preaches the Gospel to them, and they were great missionaries. There were Waldensies in England. Many don't know this, but beginning at least in the 11th century, we know that there were Waldenses that came to England during the reign of William the Conqueror in 1066, is when he came to the throne in England. There were Waldenses that migrated to England from Europe because they were being persecuted. We're told that they multiplied very rapidly in England, that their doctrine. Uh, was received very favorably by many of the British people. And, of course, the Roman Catholics there hated them. At that time in England's history, England was a Roman Catholic country. And the king of England was a Roman Catholic king. And so William, William the Conqueror he was called, was provoked by the Catholic priest to issue edicts against these old Waldenses and to persecute them, which they did. In about 1154 A.D., a group of Waldenses came to England and settled there, and they were weavers by trade. They were cloth makers. They were German-speaking refugees fleeing from the terrible persecution that was being poured out along the Rhine River in those days. And they thought, maybe we can go to England and maybe we'll be treated a little better. They quietly practiced their faith and also speaking the gospel to those that they met. Some of them settled at Oxford, where the famous university is. They had a pastor, a very educated man, whose name was Gerard. He could speak English very well, as well as German and other languages. And after seven years, they arrested Gerard. They brought him and others before a council of Catholic bishops there in England. They questioned him. Gerard answered all of the charges very well with the Word of God. He preached to them faith in Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. They were charged with rejecting baptism. Of course, they did not reject baptism. They rejected infant baptism, man-made baptism. They were threatened with persecution. And when they were, Gerard answered, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They could not be moved from the faith that they had in the Word of God. King Henry II, stirred up again by Catholic leaders, ordered that they be branded on their foreheads with a hot iron, that their clothes be cut off in the middle of winter, and that they be driven out of the city, beaten as they were going out of the city with, whips out into the snow, out into the winter. All of the citizens of England were forbidden to help them upon the pain of death. You help them, you also will die. And we're told that they perished, all of them perished that winter. Yet there continued to be Waldenses and native Bible believers in England. In 1182... Uh, we're told that the Waldenses became very numerous in England, and uh, in th- in the 1300s, a pastor named Walter Lollard, who was very renowned as a very eloquent preacher and speaker, came to England during the days of Edward III, and uh, we're told that his preaching had much success. That God blessed it. That many were saved. I have in my library an old history called the Martyr's Mirror. It's still available. You can buy it. It used to be called Baptist Martyrs, but today it's called Martyr's Mirror. And they describe the persecution of 443 Waldenses in England in 1391. There is a Baptist church at Hillcliffe in Cheshire, England that probably dates back to the 1300s. And so there were Waldenses all across Europe and even as far as England preaching the Word of God. It is no surprise, in light of the fact that the Roman Catholic Church controlled and dominated uh, Europe in those days, that they were bitterly persecuted. We come now to the section on the persecution against the Waldenses. There are so many persecutions that were poured out upon these people that we could not begin tonight to even mention all of the persecutions. And so what we're doing, of course, is just mentioning a few examples of what happened to these people. There were persecutions that we know about that went back to the 12th century, back to the 1100s. One of the Waldensian leaders of that day was a man named Peter Dubruz. Peter de Bruyne, about the year 1100, he was preaching in various parts of France. He was preaching up near the French Alps, as we pointed out, the French Alps that cover part of Italy and part of France. He was preaching that the Bible is the only authority. He was preaching that our churches need to be built and established upon the pattern of the New Testament. He was preaching that we need to reject all of the traditions of men that are not found in the Bible. He was preaching that a church, a proper church, is composed of people that have been born again and then have been scripturally baptized. He was preaching that people should not be baptized until they're old enough to understand the gospel and to believe the gospel for themselves. He rejected infant baptism in respect to the Lord's Supper. He rejected the doctrine of transubstantiation, the doctrine of the mass, that that little piece of bread supposedly becomes Jesus Christ. And uh, so it is no surprise that he was driven out of that part of France. He continued to preach for 20 years uh, roaming around from place to place, uh, escaping the authorities and going to another place, continuing to preach. In 1126, he was finally arrested and was burned at the sink. Henry of Lausanne was another of the well-known Waldensian preachers of those days. He lived from 1116 to 1148. He, the Catholics named his followers the Henricians. The Henricians, oftentimes the Catholics, would name the followers of a man after his name. He did not call them that. The enemies, uh, Their enemies called them after his name. They were not following a man. They were following Jesus Christ. They were following the Bible. But the Catholic Church, the way they saw it, they were merely following a man. He came from Lusanne, Switzerland. That's where he got his last name. And he was one of the men that had been a convert of Peter de Bruges. He was described as a man of great dignity of person, a fiery eye, a thundering voice, impetuous speech, mighty in the scriptures. Uh, It was said of him, Never was there a man known of such strictness of life, so great humanity and bravery. He preached very effectively. God blessed his preaching. Churches were started in that part of France. In 1134, he was arrested by the Bishop of Arles under the authority of the Pope at that time. His name was Eugene III, but he escaped. He preached for another 14 years by God's grace. Again, he was arrested in 1148 A.D. He was condemned as a heretic for preaching only the Bible and for rejecting the Pope. He was sentenced to perpetual confinement in prison, and he soon died. We don't know exactly how. He was either burned alive at a city in France, or he might have died in prison. Either way, Rome killed him. Another of the Waldensian leaders that we could think about tonight was named Arnold of Brescia, who lived somewhere around 1100 to 1148 A.D., He uh, was saved under the preaching of another Waldensian pastor, began to travel from country to country, himself preaching the Word of God. Wherever he went, he was hounded by the Roman Catholic authorities, trying to stop him, trying to arrest him. Finally, he returned to Paris, where he had been earlier, and uh, was preaching the Word of God. He was arrested By the Roman Catholics, he was hanged and his body was burned and his ashes thrown into the Tiber River in Rome. And wherever you find the Waldensies in those ancient days, you find Rome trying to destroy them, trying to quiet them. Persecutions continued in the 13th century, in the 14th century, in the 15th century. In the year 1209, a pope named Innocent III, and if ever a man had the wrong name, it is this man. Innocent the Third was a pope of Rome, claiming to be the successor to Peter, having the keys of heaven and hell. And this man was one of the founders of the Inquisition. We'll find out tomorrow, the Lord willing. And he called for a crusade against the Waldenses in France. As we said earlier, uh, the headquarters of the Waldenses, their native home area was in the Alps, in the mountains, in the northern part of Italy, and also in the Alps in France. He called for a crusade against sin. Now, there were two kinds of crusades in church history. One kind of crusade was when the Pope tried to send, send armies. He did send. He didn't try. He sent armies to Palestine to conquer the Holy Land and capture it back from the Muslims. That was one kind of crusade to the Holy Land, to Palestine. But there were other crusades that were called up by the popes to go and destroy Bible-believing Christians. Armies were raised up for that purpose. Tens of thousands. The pope said, If you join my army and you go out for me to fight and destroy these terrible heretics... I'll forgive your sins. Many took him up, and he also rewarded them with many monetary rewards. Tens of thousands took up arms in that one little crusade, and there were dozens and dozens and dozens of these terrible crusades. Some 200,000 Waldensies were killed by the Pope's army. Just this one little crusade. This happened time and time and time again in Europe. During those centuries, 200,000 dissenters, they estimated, were killed by the Pope's army. Two large cities, entire cities, were razed. All the inhabitants were destroyed. When one of the captains of that army, one of the generals, and they were up, and they were surrounding one of those large cities, and uh, one of the men came in and said, Well, sir, how are we going to know who is the Catholics and who are the Waldenses?" And he said, It doesn't matter. Kill them all. God will sort it out. And they did. Some 40,000 inhabitants of that one city. They, in one place, and they were living up in the mountains. And uh, the mothers fled with their babies up to where they thought they would be safe and to a mountain reserve. To a cave that they knew about. And there, the Roman Catholic armies found them, the mothers and the little babies, 2,000 feet above the valley floor and they built fires outside of the caves and they killed all of the mothers and the babies. Thousands were made homeless that were not killed and forced to wander in the woods, in the mountains to escape the persecutors. And it was very difficult to escape them. They hunted them with dogs. And so, that was one little crusade that the popes called against the Waldensies. Many other persecutions in the 13th century. A.D. Waldensian men and women were burned alive at the stake in 1211 A.D. in Strasbourg, Germany. And that happened again and again and again and again. In the 14th century, terrible persecutions continued to be poured out upon those Waldensies in Bohemia, in Moravia, in Austria, in Saxony, all across Europe, wherever they were found, 50 Waldenses were burned at the stake in a village in Moravia in 1315. In the 15th century, in the 1400s, the persecutions continued. And even got worse. Pope Innocent, the 8th. Where is he? Now here's another pope named Innocent, but he's the 8th. He's a different one. But by nature, he's exactly the same. And he hated Bible-believing Christians with a passion. In 1487, he called for another crusade, as his predecessors had called for, against the Waldenses in Italy and in Germany. He said, if you join my army, I'll forgive your sins. King Charles VIII of France, King Charles II of Savoy, agreed to join hands with the Pope and raise armies to destroy these hated Waldensies. The army, we're told, numbered about 18,000. Can you imagine that? Here's the Bible-believing churches of Maine. Not very many, but here they are scattered across this state. And, and the king, if there were such a thing, of America calls for an army of rabble-rousers, anybody that will join forces with him to come up here and to kill the Bible believers. That's exactly what happened. 18,000. Thousands of them were called ruffians. They joined the Pope's army, urged on by the promise of forgiveness of sins, hoping also to gain the possessions of those Waldensies after they were destroyed. Wiley, a very famous church historian who wrote a history of the Waldensies, he called these, this army a group of ambitious fanatics, reckless pillagers, merciless assassins. Indeed, they were. They attacked the Waldenses at the same time from Italy and from France. There was no escape. Coming in from both directions, going up into those mountains, into those valleys where they had their homes. Thousands Bible-believing Christians perished in that one horrible crusade. Their homes were destroyed. Their crops were destroyed. Entire villages were razed to the ground. The women were raped and then viciously murdered. Their children were dashed against trees, thrown off of cliffs. More than 3,000 Waldensian Christians, men, women, and children, perished in one cave up in the mountains where they had fled for safety. Waldensians have passed down to us drawings of persecutions. Their own eyewitness drawings. They didn't have cameras in those days. But I have an original, uh, uh, I have a 1641 Fox Martyology in my library. It has original drawings, some of them from the old Waldensies. Eyewitnesses to those horrible persecutions. They were burned. There's a drawing of Several Waldenses being burned in a fire at one time. And the Catholic uh, soldiers are standing around them. Here's another picture of a uh, burning of the Waldensies in a big pot. And they're throwing the Waldensies into that pot one at a time. It's a fiery furnace. Here's a picture of the Waldensies being cut into pieces. Now, many of these drawings we can't show in a situation like this in a church. Cutting them into pieces, little pieces, a bit at a time. Here's a drawing of a Waldensian tied to a tree, helpless, being cut apart and being disemboweled. Picture of Roman Catholic armies cutting babies into... Pieces Now, these, these were drawn by people that saw this and later escaped some of this and being cut into pieces. And that's what these armies of the Pope did to these Bible-believing people. This crusade, this one crusade, lasted for a year. A year. And so, in the 15th century, and then in the 16th century, in the 1500s, the Waldenses continued... To be persecuted. The Pope, one of the Popes in those days, was Pope Paul IV. He was bold. Pope Paul the Fourth had a little goatee. He also called for a crusade. An army to be raised up to go and to fight against these Waldensian Christians. They pursued them to one town called Sansexto. The people of the town fled when they saw the armies coming, fled up into the mountains trying to escape. They were pursued by bloodhounds and slaughtered. Waldensian villages of Matalto, San Sisto, and LaGuardia were destroyed, completely destroyed by the pope's armies. And the people terribly tormented. Hundreds and hundreds of those Waldensian Christians were murdered. Women and children were treated with unspeakable brutality. 1,600 captives were taken and were sentenced to death. This is an eyewitness description of what happened to these people by a Waldensian pastor. There's no town in Piedmont under a vado pastor where some of our brethren have not been put to death. Hugo Chomps of Finstrelli had his entrails torn from his living body at Turin. Peter Gimmarli of Bobbio, in like manner, had his entrails taken out at Lucerna. And a fierce cat thrust in their place to torture him further. Maria Romano was buried alive. Magellan Fulano underwent the same fate at San Giovanni. Susan Michelini was bound hand and foot and left to perish of cold and hunger at uh, Saracena. Bartholomew Foschi, gashed with sabers, had his wounds filled up with quicklime and perished thus in agony at Finili. Daniel Michelini had his tongue torn out at Bobbio for having praised God. James Beradari perished covered with sulfurous matches which had been forced into his flesh under the nails between the fingers in the nostrils and the lips and over all his body and then lighted. Daniel Revelli had his mouth filled with gunpowder which being lighted blew his head to pieces. Maria Manin, taken at Lusa, had the flesh cut out from her cheek and chin bone so that her jaw was left bare and she was thus left to perish. Paul Garnier was slowly sliced to pieces at Rora. Thomas Marguetti was mutilated in an indescribable manner at Mirabocco. Susan Joaquin cut in bits at Latore. Sarah Rastagnol was slit open. Anne Charbonnier was impaled and carried about on a spike as a standard from San Giovanni to Latorro. Daniel Rambaud, at Pansano, had his nails torn off, then his fingers chopped off, then his feet, then his hands, then his arms and his legs, and with each successive refusal on his part to abjure the gospel. Praise the Lord for men like that and for the power of God to enable them to undergo such terrible things. On June eleventh, fifteen sixty 1561, 88 men, and in Montalto, had their throats cut like so many sheep. Here's an eyewitness description. They were all shut up in one house as in a sheepfold. The executioner went, and bringing out one of them, covered his face with a napkin, or benda as we call it, led him out to a field near the house, and causing him to kneel down, cut his throat with a knife. Then taking off the bloody napkin, he went, and brought out another, whom he put to death after the same manner. In this way, the whole number, amounting to eighty-eight men, were butchered like sheep. Though many fled to the mountains, they were hunted down like wild animals. Large rewards were offered for every fugitive that was captured. So it became very difficult to escape these armies. Children under 15 years of age, were taken and put into Catholic families and were forbidden ever to marry anyone except the Roman Catholic under pain of death. And so these people were almost completely destroyed at times. Entire villages, entire cities, entire parts of Europe were raised in the efforts of the popes to destroy these Bible-believing people. There was a pastor in the 1500s named Jean Louis Pascal. And uh, the more I've studied about this man, the more I've loved him. And he was associated with the destruction of the Waldenses at Calabria. Calabria was in southern Italy. And the Waldenses had established a settlement in that part of Italy. Time had passed. And those Waldensies had become lukewarm, somewhat cold in their faith. They were first established there in the 1300s, but by the 1500s, they were very weak, very lukewarm. In the 16th century, God began to stir them up. God began to send some preachers down into that place from other parts of Europe, preaching the Word of God and stirring up these Christians. In 1558, some of the Waldensians churches of Calabria sent one of their pastors, his name was Marco, to Geneva, seeking the assistance of some Swiss pastors to come down and to help them uh, in their faith and to stir up the churches in revival meetings. The man that was chosen to go, or one of the men, was a young man named Jean Louis Pascal. And uh, they knew... That it was potentially a very perilous journey. As he left Geneva, he said goodbye to his fiance. He was betrothed to be married to a young Waldensian girl, and they were planning to have a family. He was a former soldier, and now he's a pastor. He said goodbye to his fiancée. And by the way, he had grown up as a Roman Catholic in a very staunch Roman Catholic family. The Lord had opened his eyes to the gospel of grace when he was a young man. He turned his back upon the Roman Catholic Church, went up to Switzerland, was trained in the Word of God, and God called him to preach. And so it was in 1558 that he said goodbye to his Protestant girlfriend, her name was Camilla, and he went down to the southern part of Italy to preach in Calabria, in the southern part of Italy. And here's the northern part, the northern part, which is the traditional home of the Waldensies up in the mountains. He arrived in 1558 in Calabria. He began to preach the Word of God very boldly. God was blessing his preaching. Many were coming to the meetings. They were having large meetings. In July 1559, a charge of heresy was brought against those pastors, those Waldensian pastors in Calabria. The Catholic authority in that area sent word that you have to send representatives to appear before me and to give an answer for what you're preaching. Louis Pascal went and also another Waldensian pastor, hoping that he would listen to what they were saying. And not persecute them. But that was, of course, not the case. They were arrested. They were thrown into the dungeon. One of the cities there. They languished there for eight months. On April 14, 1560, Pascal was condemned to the galleys. We'll learn something about the galleys tomorrow, the Lord willing. And they were warships powered by paddles. And the, the slaves provided the power for those paddles. And it was a sentence, almost a death sentence, to be sentenced to those terrible galleys. He was sentenced to the galleys, and with a company of 22 other prisoners, they began to take them the nine-day journey down to the ocean. But the Pope had heard about Lewis and had decided that he was going to make an example of him, and he wanted to see this Young, bold, Waldensian preacher burned in Rome right before his own eyes. And so on May 16th, Louis Pascal was taken in chains to Rome. He was imprisoned in the old infamous prison in Rome called Torre di Nona. He was not given any straw to lie on. His arms were bound so tightly with small cords that they entered the flesh. The officers of the Inquisition continually were there trying to convert him back to Rome, arguing with him for hours each day. And then his brother came. Louis's brother was still a staunch Roman Catholic. He heard that his brother was in prison, and he went to Rome to try to plead with his brother to turn away from the Bible and become a Catholic again. He visited him in prison. And with tears, he begged him to reject the Waldensian doctrine and come back to Rome. His brother loved him so much, even though his brother was a Catholic, that his brother said, if you turn back to Rome, I'll give you half of my fortune. And he pleaded with him. And he wept. But Louis Pascal was confident in Jesus Christ. He was confident in... In the blessed Word of God, he was not shaken by the tears of his brother. He was not shaken by the pleadings of the Roman Catholic inquisitors. He was not shaken by the fact that he knew he would never see his beloved fiancé ever again. He wrote from prison. And this is what he said. But as for me, God has bestowed on me that knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which assures me that I am not in error. And I know that I must go by that narrow way of the cross and seal my testimony with my blood. I do not dread death and still less the loss of my earthly goods. For I am certain of eternal life and a celestial inheritance and my heart is united to my Lord and Savior. That's what Louis Pascal wrote from prison after his brother had visited him. On September the 9th, 1516, Pascal was taken out in a public spectacle in the city of Rome before the Pope and the bishops and the cardinals, a sea of purple and scarlet, no doubt. And they were there to personally watch this man be burned for his faith. He said, as he addressed the crowd, Good people, I am come here to die for confessing the doctrine of my divine Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. He boldly preached Jesus Christ. And he also said, You're going to see me again at the judgment seat of Christ. And he arraigned the Pope as the enemy of Christ and the persecutor of the people and the Antichrist of the Bible. And so they burned him at the stake. Historians tell us that the people were deeply moved by the things that he said and by his calm demeanor as he was killed. But Calabria was destroyed. The Waldenses of Calabria were destroyed and scattered to other areas. We're told that, by, that in 1849, when a Waldensian pastor visited that area, He said, at present, we should seek in vain in these countries, in this part of Italy, for vestiges of the once flourishing Vado colonies. He said, they're gone. And so, the Waldenses of old, they stood for the Word of God. In the darkest of times, they believed the Bible. They stood for the Bible. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They built churches that were patterned. After the Bible, and no matter what the Pope said, and no matter how many armies that the Pope raised up, they continued to stand upon the Word of God. And I would close tonight with the passage that we started with. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have taught. commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And here we see the power of Jesus Christ. How could people endure such unspeakable torments. They could do it because of the power of Jesus Christ. He said, all power is given unto me and all authority. We see here also the command of Jesus Christ. He has given us a great, it is called, commandment. He repeats it five different times in the New Testament. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and establish churches that that will continue and perpetuate that process, that is the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to live for. That's what we're supposed to dedicate our lives to. We live in times that are much easier than the old dark ages of old. Much easier. Our troubles and trials are so small in light of what those ancient Christians faced We're going to be in eternity with them if we're saved. Will we not be ashamed if we live our lives for ourselves, if we consume our lives on this foolish world, if we waste our lives upon things that do not matter and ignore and disobey Christ's great commission, the command of Christ, and the faithfulness of Christ? For He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We cannot go anywhere that He is not there. And it's been often said, but it is so true. Anywhere in the will of God is the safest place you can be. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Pastor Mitchell. For this or other materials, please see our website, wayoflife.org. You may call us at 1-866-295-4143. Or you can write to Way of Life Literature, P.O. Box 610-368, Port Huron, Michigan, 48061-0368. Thank you.